Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. For those of you today who feel you are an independent or right-leaning political person, you are going to enjoy our next guest, Leland Conway. He's an award-winning broadcaster and host of The Leland Conway Show. It's a three-hour daily talk show on News Radio 840 WHAS in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as a one-hour version of the show on News Radio 630 WLAP in Lexington. He's also a contributor to Fox News and has hosted shows around the nation. He was co-founder of the highly successful political blog, The Conservative Edge, and he's a big primal fan and it's changed his life, and we've bonded over that. Um, He also has a great podcast called The Disruption Zone. Welcome to the show. Hey, Al. How are you? It's good to talk to you. You too. So, you know, Brad Kearns and I have been on your show, and I know over these years you've had your own journey with primal, paleo, ancestral living, and and you're a huge fan, and you talk about it a lot. And I I wanted to bring you on and share your experience. Can you tell us, um, first of all, I'd love to hear, before we get into health stuff, I'd love to hear, I think it's always interesting when people end up on a radio and have their own radio show, which is super cool. How did did that happen? Oh, my goodness. You know, it's funny. Most of the great things that have happened in my life are by accident, (laughs) totally. Um, you know, I went to school and I got a communications degree, but I had no desire whatsoever to be on the microphone at the time, um, until I kind of got a taste of it. And then I was like, Ooh, this is fun. (laughs) I kind of like it. And, um, but as far as doing the type of show I'm doing now, I used to do sports, um, almost exclusively. I did play by play for a couple of college teams and, um, I was working kind of part-time doing sports casts for a radio station. And they came to me and said, have you ever done political talk or the lifestyle talk, I guess is what it would be called. And they were like, and I was like, no, no, I never have. And they're like, do you want to? And I was like, sure. (laughs) So I sort of fell into it. And then I was like, you know, I like this. I get paid to express my opinion and uh, vent every day. It's awesome. It's fun. I I feel great when I'm done. I'm totally (laughs) stress-free. I like, yeah, right. You're three hours venting and you're good to go for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. All set, man. Way to go. No anxiety. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey. So it's, 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 um, not very many people get paid to talk and that is, uh, that's a blessing and uh, responsibility, you know, but it's, it's been a great, it's been a great journey. So let's talk about the health journey. So give us a little bit of background on, on how you eventually were led to finding the information that now you adopt as a lifestyle. I mean, I see, you know, uh, for, for the audience, you know, uh, Leland and I share photos of ribeyes constantly <laughs> like <laughs> cooking, cooking tips. He's always posting great, you know, great pieces of slabs of meat. And I'm like, ah, oh, it looks awesome. So how did you get to that point? Because we know we all started from some place that was unhealthy. Yeah. I, mine was like a two part journey. Okay. So, um, I've always been pretty physically active, uh, and I've never had a problem with like being like overweight in a major way. Um, but apparently like high blood pressure and diabetes and things like that run in my family. And, uh, I had an incident where I was working a lot of hours. I was in some extremely stressful situations and, um, I began getting like these migraines and, they would come every so often at the beginning, but the, as time went on, they got more and more frequent to the point that it was one or two or three a week, and they were debilitating. 
So like when I would get this pain, I was out, I was nauseous. I was, um, I'd have to literally go straight home, turn out the lights, turn everything down, lay down, lock the world out for like eight or nine hours. And then I would feel better in the head the next day, but I'd still be groggy. So it, these things would take me out for like two days at a time. So you can imagine if you're having three a week, your whole week's shot, right? And so I was having these problems and I was kind of ignoring it, trying to ignore it. Now I'm healthy. I'm fine. One night after falling asleep on the couch, watching a basketball game, I woke up in the middle of the night, kind of like a sudden start. And I get up and I like literally just collapsed. I had never collapsed or passed out in my life. I had no idea what had happened to me. I woke like it was like a quick thing. Like I was down and then I was back up. But I was I was what just happened to me? And the more I sat there, the worse I felt. I was very, my, my heart was going through like the roof. It was just pounding like crazy. I was nauseous. My head was spinning. I was dizzy. I was tremoring. It was, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. Like that's what I thought was going on. And so I, I kind of tried to lay down for a little while. And I finally was like, I gotta, I gotta call 911. I mean, this is weird. I don't know what's happened to me. I think I'm going to die. So I'm thinking I'm having a heart attack. The EMTs get there. They don't have my blood pressure. My blood pressure, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like two something over something Oof. one high 100s. I mean, I, I the number 280 sticks in my head, but I don't even know if that's physically possible. All I know is they thought I was having a stroke. <laughs> they had a stroke. And they were like- You were an you, overachiever? Yeah, I was an overachiever <laughs> big time. So, so they take me to the hospital and they do like an MRI scan and everything's fine. I did not have a stroke. Uh, but I had this massive high blood pressure and it was just through the roof. And uh, it took them like eight hours to get my pressure to normal, all this different medication. So I'm in the hospital for three days. I'm 39 years old. And I'm, this is not supposed to happen when you're 39. And I, I don't want to like, well, I guess it's okay to kind of call out the medical field because I think they were trying their best to help me. But I remember the cardiologist comes in and was like, you have to have 1200 milligrams of sodium or less a day. Like that was my problem, right? Like sodium was my problem. So I followed it because if the doc, you almost die and the doctor says, do this, I did it. Um, and so there was a series of tests that were taking place beyond that for a couple of months where they were just trying to figure out what the hell happened to me. And it was funny. They put me in this, I don't remember what machine it was, but it checks like your arteries and your vascular system. And, and the nurse gets done and she's like, you should be a model for the vascular system. Your blood flow is amazing. So there was no blockage. There was no issue. It was just high blood pressure. So, you know, kind of speeding the story up, kind of getting down to the end, I'm following this low sodium diet and I'm going back to the doctor getting, you know, checkups and stuff. And my doctor looks at me, not the cardiologist, but regular doctor. And he goes, dude, you need more sodium. <laughs> it's like your, your sodium is so low. It's dangerous. So I was following the doctor's orders and it was actually not what my problem was. So this kind of made me question the medical paradigm. I'm like, well, if these guys don't know how to fix me. And I asked him, I said, can I fix this? Cause I, I, to me being healthy is like a huge part of, of life. And he said, no, it's in your family. Everybody in my family got high blood pressure by the time they were 40. He's like, it's just what, it's just what's going to happen. We're just going to have to manage this the rest of your life. So they, so put they, me on they like, just relegated you to a life yeah. of high blood. They're like, sorry, this is just yep. it. Too bad. Yep. Yeah. Take some pills. It was like four pills. I was on four or five. I was actually originally on five medications. 
And uh, so, and, and the medications made me tired. They made me feel awful. You know, I hated it. And so I just was curious. Well, about the same time, I had a family member who uh, was diagnosed with diabetes and was about to be put on insulin. And they just happened to come across a book about the Atkins diet. And they started on it and literally reversed the need to have insulin. And I was, my curiosity was piqued by this, even though it didn't have anything to do, but it was just another one of those diseases in my family line. So I started looking into that. And when I Googled stuff about, you know, high meat, you know, lots of meat and protein, lots of fat and low carb, I came across Mark Sisson's website and I was immediately sucked in because this guy, here's this guy that's not just telling me you need to do this, this, and this. He's got science to back it up. And then I start reading the success stories and I'm starting to get excited about this. And the next thing you know, I start following this pattern and I start to feel better. And literally, long story short, I, I bought the book, the, the first one, and then I found out that, that the Primal Blueprint was updated. So I bought the second one. I read them both cover to cover. I started buying them <laughs> for my family members. Um, and anybody who comes to me, they're like, I got this health problem. I'm like, here, take this book and I'll go buy another one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I got familiar with where you could buy it on sale at a used bookstore for seven bucks. And I was telling everybody this and, you know, long story short, um, my medications are, I mean, I mean, obviously you're still on them because it's been three years, but in three years I've dropped my medication to maybe half or a third of what it was originally. I no longer have the side effects. Um, you know, I dropped the ones that were causing side effects. My blood pressure is very normal. I mean, typically for me, 110 to 115 over like sometimes 68 or 65 or 72 or 73. Um, I'm breaking personal records on, on fitness stuff. And all of this over the course of about two years of just doing this, this kind of paleo and then occasionally sliding into ketosis and things like that. I mean, this, I, I credit Mark's website with literally saving my life because I was doomed to eat the dash diet or whatever that is with dash on your chicken breast and <laughs> you know <laughs> untasty things the rest of my life. And, you know, that's all a farce, you know, it is not the way out of uh, a lot of these health problems. So it's kind of scary though, isn't it? That even in the medical field and the nu nutrition field, I had a family member that was in the hospital for type two diabetes and they were giving them like blueberry muffins with their deal, but it's supposedly the fiber was supposed to be what helped them. Like, why are you giving them that? Yeah, you know, it's so funny you said that. So many years ago, I knew someone that understood primal low carb, and they were in the hospital with someone who was there, and they called me so irate because they looked at what was called a low-carb menu in the hospital, like for the hospital food, and right. every dish was 100 grams of carbs, and, and he called me, and he was like, this isn't <laughs> low-carb, like, this is one meal, is 100 carbs, you know, and so it's insane when you've got wow. diabetes organizations. If you go to the Pacific Diabetes Organization website, they're suggesting a diabetes diabetes making diet, you know, and, and yeah. it is insane. And I want to just dial back because you said a couple things I'd like to alert the audience to. First of all, salt doesn't give you high blood pressure. And for anyone that wants to look into the science about this conundrum, why Leland's doctor just said, oh, well, to stop eating salt, that's your problem. I suggest go look at a book called The Salt Fix by James Dean Nicolantonio. And I also interviewed him and he talks about this specifically. So for people who are interested in that, and then also I just want to alert everyone 
High blood pressure is often insulin resistance, and people don't realize that. They don't realize that they're related. Um, and if you have high blood pressure and you don't have insulin resistance, it might be a thyroid thing or something else. But for for the very there's very few people in this world where it's strictly a genetic issue. And why things might run in your family, as you know, doesn't mean those genes have to get upregulated. And I'm wondering if you know over time you probably might be able to wean off of of all medications at some point. What are the thoughts on that? I, I believe. I believe I will. Um, in fact, I refuse to believe that I can't because part of the problem with me, if you want to call it a problem, is that when I'm told something, it's like you either have to explain to me why to the point that I understand it mm-hmm. or I'm not going to listen to you. And that was what was going on with this. You know, when the, when the doctors are telling me this is what diet I want you to be on, you know, until I got to my, my, my general physician and my general physician, I told him about the keto diet and all that. And he's totally supportive. Right. And that's when everything kind of changed. Um, you know, he's probably skeptical that it's not genetics, but he's, he gets the nutritional change. But I agree with you. Um, I, honest to goodness, it's, it's weird. I've been doing this for two years and it's almost like every day I feel better than the day before. I don't know how to explain that, but, um, it, it, it changes everything. And so I, I feel confident that five years or six years, you know, I did a lot of damage. Apparently I carried this high blood pressure thing for probably close to 10 years and didn't know it. And so I did a lot of damage to my body in that period of time. So I think it's going to take time to heal, but it's, it's clearly already doing that based on how I feel based on, you know, what those numbers look like and based on the fact that you're reducing medications as you go. So I totally agree with you. I'm a hundred percent confident that, you know, at some point they'll be completely, you know, med fee, med free. But even if I don't, I feel better now, L than I did when I was 25. I'm not joking about that. It's crazy. Isn't that amazing? I know I tell people that and they think I'm nuts, but I'm like, no, I actually think I look better than I did. (laughs) Um, But aside from the fact that you're not waking up and passing out on the floor with like 500 level blood pressure, what what are some of the changes you've noticed, whether it's like in your skin or mind or give us some of the things that over time you've been like, oh, and then that came up, you know, and then that changed. Well, for one thing, um, just in the area of physical fitness, um, I, for all my life, you know, I was always the skinny guy. Um, and you know, when I played basketball in high school, I'm six foot one and a buck 25 or 30, if I'm soaking wet, you know, so I could never gain weight. The highest I've ever been at six foot two is, um, I think two fifteen. Um, but one of the things I struggled with was ever gaining a lot of really a lot of muscle mass and, I am definitely no Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I have gained more strength and muscle mass following Mark Sisson's primal, uh, primal blueprint pattern of exercise than ever in my life. You know, sprinting once every seven to 10 days, um, that changed everything. There was just, you could just feel that you had more endurance. You could feel that you had more strength and more explosive strength. And that opened up other things. So I definitely gained more muscle mass than I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, skin cleared up somewhat. Um, you know, I noticed like, it's kind of funny, but little aesthetic things, like when you get, you get veiny arms and hands and things like that, you know, that as you, as you start to slim down and, um, you know, cut that fat off, the headaches are gone. I've not had a headache in two and a half years. I mean, they're gone completely. Yeah. Um, so all of that is gone. Um, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety prior to this whole situation. That's gone. No anxiety. So 
yeah, I mean, it just, I just feel better all the way around, 100%. Yeah, and, and because you mentioned anxiety, I have to throw out Allie Miller RD wrote the anti anxiety diet and how all of this relates to our neurotransmitters and how we feel. And, you know, a lot of anxiety does come from excess cortisol production. And when you're a sugar burner and you're up and down, there is a, more, it's a higher probability that you're going to experience these surges and the, these like issues with anxiety. And I also don't experience that anymore either. Um, you know, when you were, what were, were there any objections that you got, you know, like sometimes when you go down this road, right, you want to preach it to everybody, right? You want to like give everyone the book. And then sometimes you get some backfires from people and you're trying to promote positivity, but people are like, whatever, what kind of objections did you hear from people? I know you had, you had one friend, right? Your co-host who, who kind of turned a corner there, but they were on the old paradigm. So I'd love to hear some of the things you've experienced through these two years as you've been talking to people about, Hey, this is what worked for me. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You do get a lot of pushback, especially if you're in the media and you talk about it on the air. You know, because there's a lot of people that just don't believe it. You know, they've been told this for forever. But I'll tell you kind of a funny story that sort of brings all this into like a, a synopsis, if you will. But you know, the, occasionally they'll bring donuts into work at the radio station. And don't I'm not gonna lie here. I love donuts. You know, <laughs> I don't eat them, but like occasionally they would. And so I'd come by, right? And 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 I would just take like a little corner of it and it's <laughs> a bite. But then I would just take it off. I cut it off, you know, with a plastic knife. And my coworkers would get so mad at me because they're like, that paleo guy again, he's just eating one bite and he's leaving this sort of partially open donut, you know, taking it away. Um, but that would drive people nuts. But there's, a, there's, you definitely have people that sort of make fun of you and they're like, why do you scrape all the toppings off of your pizza and just eat the topping? You know, that's weird to people. <laughs> um, you know, but I'm like, well, it tastes the same. I mean, I don't really miss the bread part. Um, so there's people that make fun of you. I have, you know, people close to me that I've tried that have had major health problems and I've tried to convince them that this is the way to go and they've pushed me away. Um, others have embraced it, but, um, you get some of that. And I think it sounds, here's, here's the thing at first, what we're doing sounds counterintuitive at first is you think, wait a minute, you know, there's bread and you put bread with meat and that's a sandwich, right? That's counterintuitive to say, no, just eat the meat. That doesn't make any sense. But this is what I love about the way Mark does it. And I think this is what really got me grounded in this lifestyle was that he goes back to the history and he's like, no, we never had bread when we were having to chase down, you know, the gazelle. And that sort of, then you flip that over in your mind and you're like, wait a minute, it's actually counterintuitive to eat the way we eat now. So that's what sort of made it click with me. But convincing people of that, is difficult because they haven't had that medical emergency. They haven't had that moment where you're slaying in a hospital bed and you're going, is my life ever going to be the way it was before? You know, can I, you know, when you're being told you have to have 1200 milligrams of sodium a day or less, and you can only eat fish and chicken and vegetables the rest of your life, and you can't put any salt or pepper or flavoring on it at 39, that's a scary place to be. Right. I don't know why people, it's like we go into one of two camps when stuff like this happens. We either go into denial and we go, well, here's something I can brag about to all my friends, my health problems, or people flip that switch. And for me, I'm fortunate that it was the, it flipped that switch for me and it changed everything. But you get pushback from people that just haven't been washed in that paradigm. They haven't, they haven't experienced those things. And as far as they're concerned, if it tastes good, I'm going to eat it because nobody would ever give me anything poison, right? 
<laughs> right. No organization <laughs> or company would ever, ever <laughs> promote something poisonous. Um, yeah, you know, it really is interesting. The You touched on it a little bit about people who essentially are identifying with their story of ill health. And that's something that they're so used to either getting sympathy from people on or, you know, again, if you're in that thing where people are constantly checking on you. And again, you know, this in a psychological way can take you down a road where you kind of want to simmer in that story still. And until you really hit your bottom with your health and, you know, you're probably not going to, those people are probably not going to change. And I hope they would sooner. I mean, we have a primal health coach who's a uh, Dr. Dan, everyone knows him. He had a stroke at the age of 65 and he thought he was healthy and he ate three square meals a day. And, and, uh, then he went primal, became a primal health coach and totally turned his life around and he could have been a goner. And I think he's probably now 72 or something. He's doing just fine. Um, and he was so confused because he's like, I'm a doctor. I, 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 I should have known, I should know this. And what we've realized is that, you know, doctors aren't trained in nutrition. And if they are, they're trained that glucose is the body's primary fuel source, because that's kind of the story, right? Uh, with all the health, other health books and stuff. Um, <clears throat> I wonder, you know, I, I know you now you see, now that you're in this, you can see out there, because I've seen some of your posts and stuff on Twitter, where you know, you're get, you're getting to the point where we are we're like, ah, oh, who are these people that are promoting this stuff? Like, you had something the other day which was great. It was like someone was promoting Pepsi AC or one of these like acid blockers, and the whole thing was like, hey, yeah. what was it? It was really funny. Oh yeah, no, there was an ad on Twitter that um, it was basically for an antacid product, and and it was that it said, get back on the couch. You're going to enjoy, you know, enjoy tonight. We got you covered. You know, it was something to the effect of, don't worry, you could keep eating those snacks, get back on the couch. It's all good. And I, I was just like, right, you know, keep putting poison in your body. We got you covered so you won't feel anything. Cause that's exactly what it is. It's just covering up what you're doing to yourself. You're poisoning yourself and you're just taking the antacids to cover up what's actually happening because your body's rejecting this stuff. You know, uh, you know, and, and going back to that, I don't mean to jump around, but Please. going back to the paradigm of, of people that um, revel in their sickness, I don't understand that. And it happens a lot because for me, to be honest with you, you're the first public place I've ever told the story of my hospitalization. That's hard for me to, to discuss because I'm kind of a dude's dude, you know, um, and I don't like to admit weakness and I don't like to, to appear to have weaknesses. So it's hard for me to tell the story, which is why it's even harder for me to understand why someone would want to brag about their illnesses. Oh, my arthritis. Oh, my bursitis. I mean, I've sat in, in groups of people that have done this and I'm like, why do you accept pain? I don't understand that. I want to feel good. I want to be outside. I want to be enjoying life. Why is it acceptable to be in pain? And I, I think I sort of step back and I look at our country, our entire nation is sort of accepting of that. And it drives me up the wall because I'm like, people, you do not have to live like this. It doesn't have to be like this. My, my mother passed away, I think, at least 20 years before she should have. You know, and I think about what kind of an impact she had with her life on people. And I'm like, 20 years of people missing out on that, on what she had to offer with her life. And I think about all the other people that have passed away early. It's like, what could your, you and your kids have done? What more enjoyment with your family could you have had? 
You know, what more of the, of the world could you have changed if you had just had 10 more years or five more years of good health? Could you have pulled something off you never expected? To me, I think in terms of those possibilities, and I see a nation that's just sick right now, and it really drives me up the wall because there's so much potential for us to be so much more healthy. Yeah, and it, it really saddened me not too long ago. I uh, was watching the news and listening to some lawmakers talk about, you know, obviously prescription drug prices are crazy, of course, and they're going in and they're talking about how expensive right. insulin is. And it just, it just, I wanted to just curl up and cry because I wanted to just scream to the world like, hey, for the type two people, you don't even need the insulin if you went down this road correctly with your doctor because you can get <laughs> off of it. You know, I mean, that's one expense right there that can be cut from people's lives if they just went in the right direction. Um, unfortunately, though, there's a lot of people who... Um, I know a couple myself who type two diabetics. They're they're obese. They they were from the the beginning. And that's why they became type two. They take insulin, but then they still right. like my friend's father will reach for the candy, and and my friend will be like, Dad, what are you doing, dude? You have diabetes, and he'll be like, Whatever, I'll just shoot more insulin. You know, so it becomes almost oh. this like, and and that is such a losing game. And for anyone out there who's got that philosophy, you're you're trying to manage how your body needs insulin and you're going to overshoot it or undershoot it at any given time. And it's just going to get worse. So it really behooves everybody to go down the road of trying to get off of that. And I was pre-diabetic myself for those that are listening and had to, had to reverse that as well. It's a scary thing. We, we live in this type two forward direction movement and we all really want to reverse it. Now, while we're not, I, while I don't want to get into some huge political discussion, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, you've been talking politics for a long time. What do you see now when you look at politics and food and how this connects? What are the things that you see that you go, damn it? Yeah. Damn it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a passion for me and it's not left or right. Um, what I see is I see uh, an industry that essentially is in the pockets of both political parties. And I see a, I see a lot of status quo that kind of terrifies me that, that we're in this status quo place. I mean, if you fight back, if you, if you, you know, if you, if you criticize the soda industry or you criticize some of these big industries, they will fight back, you know, because there's this, there's this vested interest. And I don't want, I don't, I'm not about control. I, you know, I'm more libertarian in my politics. I, you know, you make your choices and you live with your choices and that is what it is, but I'm very strongly pro-information, uh, and pro-transfer transparency. And I want to know what's in the food that you're giving me. And I want to know what, what tests have been done to, you know what I mean? It's like when I, when I look at the ingredients list on stuff, it's like bells, alarm bells go off in my head. Why do you think I should be able to eat that and not have problems down the road? So to me, I don't know if politicians just don't pay attention to it or if enough people don't pay attention to it. But I think there's a very strong effort, you know, by the, the, the major food industry to try to, you know, keep this whole little idea that that eating sugar is um, is is bad for you as quiet as possible. You know, um, and I see both parties kind of stumble into this when it comes to politics too, because, you know, sometimes the Republicans will buck against regulation, which, you know, Hey, most of the time I'm right there with them. But when you're telling a meat company to tell me where that meat was raised, that's not limiting their freedom to sell me that meat. That's making sure that I know as a buyer what I'm buying. Right. So I'm, 
it, it, you know, a lot of times the, the conservative party will be against stuff like this. Well, we don't want regulation. Well, this isn't really regulation. This is simply saying people want to know where the stuff is raised and how was it raised. And they have a right to know that before they purchase it. That's like an area that I'm pretty passionate about. And, and it just, it feels like there's this effort out there to make sure that we all get enough corn every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, stop it. You know, it, there doesn't have to be corn in everything, you know, and I'm, I'm a Southern boy. So a good little buttery, hot corn on the cob once in a while is delicious as it gets. Has no nutritional value to me, but it's delicious as it gets. But I don't have to have it every day, you know, and it's in everything. It's absolutely in everything. So I don't know what the answer to that is, L. That's the problem um, because there's a lot of money behind keeping the status quo. And I, that's what I think, you know, I see a lot of what was that ridiculous article that came out um, a couple of weeks ago about keto crotch. <laughs> and uh, yesterday, Mark, Mark had a great article on his on his website yesterday that just kind of blew that out of the water. And it was like, you know, you're probably more likely to get a stinky, you know, if you eat this big, heavy carb-laden food than this, this other route. But the bottom line is they're, they're peddling this as science and the media gets on board. And sometimes I think that the media is even more dangerous than the politicians because they see a headline, and I know how this works because I'm inside the media. So, right, so we see a headline, and the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads, is so true, right? If it's an outrageous claim, I got to have it on my show. So, there's a lot of people that will look at that, and, and media people are media people. They're not nutritionists. So, they see a study and they go, oh, well, the doctor says, and so and so, you're going to get keto crotch. And the next thing you know, it's all over the freaking news, and people are going, well, I'm going to quit this keto diet because I, I was getting emails from people asking me about it because <laughs> I talk about, you know, going keto on my show. And I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. You know, so people are starting to ask about it because they keep hearing about it in the news. So I think the media sometimes is even more dangerous than politicians because they sort of back each other up, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, we, and we, you and I keep that status quo. Yeah. And you and I joked around about there was some article that came out and you <laughs> sent me the headline. It was from, you know, a classic women's fitness magazine, you know, all these magazines. And it's funny because you'll, you'll page through the magazine and Every page will be a different story. One page will be like low carb. The next week it'll be like high carbs better. Then, then, then they'll have an advertisement for yeah. like you know cupcakes, <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, again, like all sorts of confusing yeah. uh, information. You know, it's interesting. On the, um, <clears throat> I interviewed a guy who kind of exposed his. He was in the. He worked for a food company and he developed his own line of like frozen foods and stuff. And throughout this process, he actually admitted to and came out clean and admitted that he had bribed some people in the FDA, et cetera. And one of the things that was interesting is that he said, and I've noticed this. So if you go to the frozen section of any supermarket, you cannot find a frozen meal that's just salmon and vegetables or protein and vegetables. You can't, you can't find it. Um, it has to have some kind of, it'll have a grain or rice peel off or something in it. And he was telling me that the reason is is because the the rule about it is they basically have to add sugar to it somehow to make the ratio better for whatever standard that is. So the ratio of carbs, protein, or whatever, according to the guidelines, are such that it forces food makers to throw in some potatoes in there or to throw in a rice. Like they can't literally even make a product that I'm talking about. Like that's right. that's unbelievable. If it's prohibitive, why couldn't I sell a product that's just salmon and green beans? Like you know, and, and that that would be great if we had frozen meals that were like that. 
that. I mean, I'm not saying go for frozen meals, but if you're going to talk about convenience for people and, right. you know, that would be a great option, but they're just not there. And if you go, just anyone listening, go to the grocery store, you won't find anything. Um, and they add sugar to it without saying it. And there's all sorts of, like you said, ways of sneaking around transparency. And <clears throat> I'm not sure who it was. Maybe it was in like Gwyneth Paltrow, one of the celebrities that was trying to fight for like labeling foods that are GMO so that we can decide uh, right. without having to like do uh, internet research on the, the farm you know, for like five hours. And <laughs> yeah, so I, I really right. wish that was the case. And then we have, of course, ah, our government food pyramid, right? I mean, it is a type two yeah. diabetes making yeah. food pyramid. I mean, God, what you know so much about politics, you're in there. What do you think could even be done about something like that? I mean, is that just going to be an impossible task? Well, yeah, that's the thing is I do actually deal with a lot of politicians, and I can tell you that politicians aren't experts in anything other than getting you to like them or dislike them. <laughs> that's what they're experts in, right? So their whole life is bent around getting you to vote for me or give me money, um, and that's like 99% of the politicians. There's a few out there. My congressman, Thomas Massey in Kentucky, this guy, this guy's awesome, right? Like, okay, I don't want to get political, but he's a Republican, but get this. He drives an electric car with with a coal keeps the lights on license plate on, which is kind of hilarious, but he drives an electric Tesla. He actually, his entire 4,000 square foot house is off the grid. He has a huge farm in Northeast Kentucky and it's completely off the grid. Um, and it's powered by, he literally took a Tesla, a wrecked Tesla battery and built his own power wall. And that's how he powers a 4,000 square foot house, including air conditioning in the summertime. So the guy's amazing. He's done all this himself, and he raises all his own cattle and beef and all this kind of stuff. So there's a few politicians, very few, that, and he's been fighting for like raw, you know, the ability of people to go, hey, I want to, I want to buy raw milk because apparently, you know, you cross state lines with raw milk. Forget about it. Yeah, and you're in the slammer. You get arrested. <laughs> you know, it's like a crime thing. Yeah. So I mean, he's not necessarily paleo, but he he he's all about clean foods and and people knowing what it is they're they're eating. So there's a few that are like that. But the vast majority of politicians will just take what an expert says and then parrot it. And I think that's the problem we have with the food pyramid. The experts, meaning going back to what you said earlier, the, the people who are supposedly representing diabetics, right? The diabetes association, the heart disease, you know, the heart association, these organizations are feeding our politicians and they say, well, the heart association, they're not they're not cardiac cardiologists. They're not, you know, people that are dealing with diabetes. They're politicians and they just want people to vote for them. So they're only interested. Just get me an expert. What does the expert say? Okay, I'll write the bill. That's the problem that we have. And it's trying to figure out how to crack that code of getting more politicians to understand that some of the experts that they're talking to are not in fact experts at all. They're just I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if, to me, it's like, wait Is it they're, they're in the hands of the, the well, it's like, I mean, what about like the grain lobbyists, like in the hands of that kind of stuff? I mean, clearly right. anyone can find a scientist or a doctor. I mean, listen, if anyone's been through a terrible insurance claim, an insurance company will just send you a letter from a doctor who's never met you and be like, oh, this doctor says you're fine. And you're like, wait, what? Who is this? Un- right. Who's this unethical right. effing doctor out here that I've never met? And so, you know, I'm not totally shocked you'd be able to get a board of docs together to say, you know, something that you want them to say for that. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's such so tough. Where, I mean, obviously, you know, you're contributing to this because you have in the positive way because you're you're getting out the word to people, friends, and you have people on your show that talk about this kind of stuff. 
what what would you like to see next? Or what do you think might be a good first step, you know, politically that maybe we all can get behind or something that you envision possibly going forward positively in this uh, this direction to turn our country around? We, we need to elect somebody whose life's been changed by this. I mean, I, I know that's very simplistic to say, but honestly, that's the only way I see it getting through uh, to Congress. Um, we need probably one from both sides of the aisle to take up this cause. So that because I think we're so divided in America right now that if, if a Republican says something, then it's automatically wrong to the Democrats. And if the Democrat says something, it's automatically wrong to the Republicans. And there's a million ways they can filter anything that we do through that political par- prism and, 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 and make all of their followers believe exactly that. Um, and so I think we need sort of a, a couple of bipartisan politicians that we can actually get to with this information and be like, hey, <laughs> You know, we need to take a second look at this. And whatever those politicians are, they're going to be going up, I think, against some pretty hefty dollars um, in fighting against them. Um, so that's one thing. I think most importantly, though, you know, we're a nation that we are our government. And the more the word spreads, it, the, the more people experience this, the more likely we are to elect politicians that are going to be more in favor of the things that we're that we're asking, you know, because we're going to we're going to start putting these things on our list of important issues. And it may not seem like food issues is a big issue facing the country. But when you look at what is like if we step back right now, Ellen, we ask ourselves, Democrat, Republican, whatever, what's one of the biggest issues facing our country right now? It's the debate over health care. Right. I mean, it's huge. Does But we're looking at it from a perspective of, does the government give it to us for free or not, right? That's the argument right now. And I think that needs to be changed. I was listening to, I don't know if, I think it was one of your podcasts. And there was, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was talking about solving the healthcare problem. And one of the, the, literally the, the billions of dollars, if not trillions that would be saved if everyone just changed the way they ate, you know, how much less heart disease would we have? How much less diabetes would we have? Um, so I don't know, man. I, I, I'm trying to give an answer here, but I don't know that there is one. Yeah, there's a level of personal yeah. responsibility. Yeah, there's a level yeah. of personal responsibility, and there is a level of we've already been shown. Look, the paleo promo movement's been going on. Well, I mean, we can say 2.5 million years. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's been going <laughs> roughly, but it's been going on maybe really strong the past 10 years. It's gotten bigger and bigger. Now we have seen, and you know, you and I were just talking about this the other day, and we might as well give a shout out because like the brand Siete, who makes green fee tortilla chips, and we were, and then I was telling you about their their tortillas, which by the way, if people listening <laughs> don't know about them, get yourself a package of those because it really satisfies that soft taco or burrito feeling. And the more we contribute and buy these products, the more there are. I mean, I have, there were never these products seven years ago out there at, at all. And now it's everywhere and there's grain-free granola. And so I love this. Uh, that makes me hopeful. You know what I mean? That that makes me hopeful things right. are going right. in the right direction. I just made enchiladas, by the way, with Siete almond flour tortillas last night. They were amazing. Um, <laughs> so good. But yeah, no, they're so awesome, and I've got I've got their chips in my my uh, pantry right now. You know, it's like when I'm hungry for a ch- for a snack, it's like there's where I go or whatever. But um, you, you bring up a really good point because one of the qu- there was an article the other day that I came across, and it it was basically a survey of Americans, and like eighty percent of Americans think it's too expensive to eat healthy. And I stop at that headline, and I just go think about that statement for just a second. 
It's too expensive to eat healthy. Now, we can take that, that sentence, eat healthy, or that phrase, eat healthy, and we can change one word in it, and it's be healthy, right? Because if you eat healthy, you will be healthy. So what you're saying is now, let's change the headline. Now it's too expensive to be healthy. Well, is it? Because if I buy organic, clean foods, if I buy those kinds of foods and I eat those clean foods and I eat those clean foods and I, I stay away from those carbs, I am actually healthy, which means, you know, I don't know how many times in the last three years I might have gone back to get more medical stuff if I hadn't have changed course. And I guarantee you that has saved me money. So does that money, you know, you know, when I buy stuff and I look at my grocery Yeah, insulin store, is expensive. Yeah. Yeah, cancer is expensive. Yes. Like health problems are horrifically expensive. And let's talk about that for a minute because I'm not sure if you experienced this, but when you first go down the train of being paleo prime, when you're kind of coming off a carbohydrate dependent, you know, paradigm, you're, you're eating maybe more food. And so it's a little bit more expensive. But then as Mark Sisson talks about, you know, caloric efficiency, you go over time and it actually is the same, if not cheaper, just because the amount of food you're eating is less and then you're not buying all this excess BS. Do you know what I'm saying? How do you feel about that? How would that work? For oh yeah. You? Yo, I, I totally, yeah, I actually eat way less. Um, I don't eat three meals. I eat two meals a day. If that sometimes only one. Um, and now what's, I, what's interesting about that is because of the macros in my meals, a lot of times I'm actually getting more calories than I was. Certainly I'm getting more nutrition than I was prior to that. So just because I only eat one meal a day, I might still pack in 3000 calories, depending on what I was doing that day. You know, if, if I did a trail run or a big, long hike or, you know, had a heavy strength workout, 3,000 calories is easy to hit in just one meal, you know, but I don't have all of the expensive snack food. Yeah. I got a couple bags of Siete's or whatever, but I don't have all of the expensive snack food. I don't have the expense of, um, junk fast food. I don't have, um, I don't have expensive sodas and beer. I don't, I don't drink, you know, very, very, very rarely do I drink and only in a social setting. It's that. So I don't, I don't have some of the people that I know's two, three, four hundred dollar monthly alcohol bill. You know, little things like that. Those things add up. And I'm sitting here and I'm like looking at my two hundred dollar bill at Whole Foods or whatever. But that's got me for maybe two weeks or whatever. And I'm gonna feel good. And I'm not gonna have to go to the doctor. And I'm not buying all this other stuff. I think I think we spent more on fast food. I think we spent more on junk food than people realize. You go through the grocery store and you stop, like, just choose not to buy the Doritos. Choose not to buy the sodas. Choose not to buy the beer. Choose not to buy those, those things. And just go get your vegetables and your meat. And tell me that meat is more expensive than three bags of Doritos. Come on. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. If you're just getting that clean food and you're dropping all that other crap, really it's about the same. And in the end, you're going to save money because you're going to be healthier. So I just don't buy that excuse, but I get why people think at the outset it's more expensive because they look at that and they go, okay, here's the problem, right? When you look at ground beef, it's two, three, four ninety nine a pound by itself basic. That's just the hormone stack, whatever crap that came off the industrial food lot, right? And you look right next to it and there's like, oh, there's grass fed ground beef, but it's eight ninety nine a pound. That's twice as much. Put the Doritos back. 
You know what I mean? And boom, you're yeah. eating Right. People are going to have to do some more cost benefit analysis. I think they just throw out it's more expensive without actually doing the work on it. And if they did the math, I think it would. uh, um, Or it's interesting, you know, this is a random tangential thought, but I was having this conversation the other day where, you know, you talk to people who have quit meat, like vegan, vegetarian, someone who said, you know, that's it, I've decided. And some of the people say, I've heard this. Well, God, why'd you quit eating meat? And they say, well, because I don't want to contribute to global warming. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, let's unwrap that a bit because the, the feedlots you're talking about, right? right? The side of the freeway, it's all muddy. These cows are mooing and, you know, it it's, looks like a disaster nuclear waste dump and, right. you know, they're being fed grains. You know, what people don't understand, it's like, well... Yes, you feed a cow its non-native diet, which is grains, just like us, if you did that, and then they get sick, then you have to give them antibiotics. Now the soil is all disgusting. They're not pasturing or really improving the, the land, you know, earth quality. And so you can contribute to that and the excess methane if you go buy your meat from there. Right. But you don't have to quit meat to, to help the environment. You could just quit that meat and go get pastured animals, you know, that are actually improving the environment. And they're not farting up a storm because they're not eating grains, you know? So it's just interesting. People make these decisions and they're not looking deeper into really why or or what's around that, but they just watch some movie and hear someone say that, you know, meat consumption ruins the environment. And and then you're like, what? That's that's really kind of, they're missing the nuance. It's the same thing back in the day when they said, well, saturated fat causes heart disease. No, it doesn't, but it does in the presence of all this other junk, right? Right. In the presence of all these other carbs, sure, you're not going to be able to burn the fat. And then yes, it might clog you up. But in and of itself, it's not true. You know, so again, like you said, just instead of headlines, watching some movie, do a little bit more investigation. I know um, we just uh, talked about CJ Hunt recently. I always yeah. mention my favorite documentary, The Perfect Human Diet. For those wondering about the science behind this and need to understand why or how or what is this really about, or if you think paleo is some kind of gimmick or whatever, go watch that documentary. It's it's really incredible. Um Let's talk about you. So how can we hear you? Even if we're not in Louisville, Kentucky, we can still listen to your show on iHeartRadio, right? Tell us how yep. we can listen and, and hear your stuff. Well, a couple of ways. In fact, you mentioned CJ Hunt. He's like our next guest on the Disruption Zone podcast. Um, my co-host and I, Cameron Mills, who, uh, shout out to him. He played basketball for UK and was on the national championship teams in 96 and 98. He's a super guy and he's getting into this keto thing really big. He, he told me, he sent me a text yesterday he lost like 10 pounds in seven days. And, um, he's like, he's sending me all the pictures of the food that he's eating stuff. He's a super guy. Uh, but we actually talked to CJ hunt and, uh, it was, it was awesome. So he's coming up. Um, but you can, you can go to the disruptionzone.com. That's our podcast there. And it's not all about diet. It's, you know, we talk to people that, um, you know, just disrupt the status quo going back to what we were saying earlier, like how do we fix the political side of this? Well, right now everything is pointed towards the status quo. And our, our motto is that, you know, success essentially lives where status quo dies. And that's kind of what we are pushing for is people breaking the mold, which is what Mark Sisson has done. So you can hear it at the disruptionzone.com and iHeartRadio, just download the app. You can listen to me anywhere. I'm on nine to noon, Monday through Friday on WHAS. And, um, you know, we, we love it. And, uh, you know, you can just download the app there or listen to WHAS.com. So, um, you know, that's where, that's where we're at. 
We'll put all the links in the show notes and also lelandconway.com is also another resource for people to take a yep. look at. Uh, what's coming yep. up? What's coming up for you other than, um, you know, you're doing these shows, anything else on the horizon exciting you're looking forward to? Um, you know, we're, we're getting ready to air the, uh, CJ hunt ap- uh, episode, which I'm really super excited about. He's such a cool, classy guy. Um, I know, right. That. I love him. Watching, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's great. And, and he's humble and he's got a great sense of humor and that's what I love about him. But, um, just watching that movie was phenomenal for me. So that, that kind of set a lot of things in, um, you know, on the horizon, um, I'm working on a leadership book that's probably a few years down the road coming out, but we're digging away at that. And it's going to kind of touch at some of these issues about breaking the status quo and breaking the mold, if you will. Um, so that's on the horizon and a bit of an exciting project. And one of our upcoming episodes as well, that would be fun on the disruption zone is a guy named Rob Perez, who used to work for, uh, I believe, I believe he worked for Disney. Um, he's from California, moved to Kentucky, started a, um, very successful restaurant that ended up with a couple of locations. And now he has a new restaurant that he started as an act of love. And what it's, it's called deviate kitchen. And it focuses on people who are dealing with addiction or past criminal records and giving them a chance to get back into the workforce and get productive and break free of all of that and turn their lives around. And he's a super health guy too. You know, he's way into the whole, you know, eating clean foods and stuff like that. So uh, super exciting. And uh, we're excited about that episode too, that's coming up as well. So. That's incredible. Well, we will put all of the links in the show notes to connect with you. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. It was a blast. Thanks, Al. Always good to hear from you. And I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm about to go on a road trip, so I'll probably be catching up on all the episodes because <laughs> do not miss the Primal Blueprint. So, oh, You're awesome. Well, thanks so much. And everybody, we'll see you back next week. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, and when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining 
overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.